0: check out guardianvets.com now.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I'm excited that you're here. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's podcast here in just a second. We're going to hit up our sponsors that help make the show possible. There's lots of companies that I believe in that I think help veterans across the board, whether it's find a job, hire talent, become more efficient in their practice, all those things. right? So these sponsors mean a ton to me. So I know a lot of people will fast forward or skip through them. But if and when you're looking for help and some of the solutions they offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to check them out. And so with that, no further ado, jump into the ads and we'll get right into the show. So thank you for listening and uh, enjoy. I get it, Isaiah. You talk about Bitcoin all the time. Well, as I go out and about, I continually hear the demand for, I need more Bitcoin education, or I don't really understand. I hear you talking about it. I know you're passionate about it. I know you have a lot of conviction, but I need more info. And that's where Bitcoin for VetMed really came from, was taking, hey, the 10,000, 100,000 hours of time that I've spent and distill it down into bite-sized courses. And walking you through of getting a foundational why a little bit of understanding the technical side of bitcoin and then how to grapple with the fear uncertainty and doubt and just the things that you hear throughout the media and giving you the ability to up your bitcoin knowledge to go from zero to hero and feel a lot more comfortable saying okay this is something that matters and i want to take some of the value that i create and save into bitcoin So head over to BitcoinForVetMed.com or click the link in
0: the show notes. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now.
1: Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with Offer First. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 170. Nine with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first, or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote, your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So. Link in the show notes is going to take you to Offer First. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to Offer First directly. And Offer First is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. They're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management built for vets by vets it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important your patients shepherd automatically updates the medical records adds services to the invoice generates discharge instructions and so much more bring home more stories and less stress check them out at shepherd.vet again that's shepherd.vet today i am happy to invite a new guest to the show Andrea Crabtree. She's the owner of Fur Paws Consulting in Orange, California. She's been doing that for a little over a decade and has her bachelor's of science in animal health and has also become a certified veterinary practice manager and received her certification as a professional in human resources and also has the California professional in human resources, which I know California is special. Since you're out there, you got to get extra Certifications for California. And then also super exciting, the co-host of the Positive Leadership Podcast as well. Andrea, you're super active inside and outside of veterinary medicine. Thank you for joining me today.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Isaiah. I'm looking forward to chatting it up with you for yeah. a bit.
1: And for those that aren't watching or you see a clip, yes, this is the same host. This is just the first time I've shaved in four years. So you get a look.
2: <laughs> I noticed. I was like, wow, a little different I, I know, look I for know, you. Is I, that I, a weekly, monthly?
1: So we met at the Northeast Veterinary Medical Association. Mutual friend now, Dr. Haley Gentile, had us both up there.
2: Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, we
1: sat on the bus out to a lobster bank, which I'd never done one of those before. So I had to learn.
2: Oh, no, it was not a bus. Yeah, oh, bus that's right. It started to, off as yeah, a bus. bus
1: to the ferry. To, to the ferry. Island. Yeah. It yes. was a whole
2: to an island. Yeah. Right. And then that was when the three of us, it was Mary Berg, you and I, and we're staring at this lobster in front of us. What the hell do we do with this lobster now? I'm from
1: Indiana. (laughs) We don't do this. How do I get to the food? No.
2: (laughs) Right. Dr. Haley had to give us a three-minute tutorial on how to eat lobster.
1: For sure. And I know you had a ton of different talks while you were up there and you get into the weeds on a lot of different topics that Some people might say they don't love, right? But they're super important.
2: (laughs) HR is not a sexy subject, that's for sure. I, I
1: wanted to kind of set the table for the rest of the discussion of where your position is today in veterinary medicine. And I know that what's a day look like in your life is, well, each day is very different, but kind of what areas are you touching within veterinary medicine? And then we'll kind of unpack a handful of
2: those. Well, it's funny that you say that because, you know, touching, we can't touch anything in HR, right? So <laughs> I don't do any touching. I keep my hands in my pocket. Yep. Good, good point. <laughs> I started off in veterinary medicine as a practice manager. And well, I mean, once I got into management as a practice manager, not realizing that it was so involved. And so that's why I became a certified veterinary practice manager. I knew I didn't know shit about veterinary medicine on the business side of it. And then realized it's all HR. It's all peopling. And I don't think that we realize when we get into veterinary medicine, that's peopling. We just think it's all going to be puppies and kittens. So am I. So I did a lot of HR work and now that's my primary focus. 80% of my time is consumed with HR as a consultant for sure, but as a practice manager, it was just all peopling. So a day in the life of a lot of peopling, a lot of reviews, a lot of interviewing, a lot of feedback, a lot of coaching, a lot of training. And that can come with practice owners, that can come with practice managers, that can come with teammates just working side by side with them on, hey, this is how you can do whatever it is that you're doing even better. I kind of default to my mantra is 100% of my job is to make you better at your job. So whatever it is in vet med that you're doing. My job is to make you better at whatever that is. So if it's a better practice owner, a better practice manager, a better technician, better lead, better supervisor, better financial advisor, better whatever your piece of interest is in veterinary medicine, it's like let's do that better, right? So it's a lot of people. Yeah,
1: I love that. What do you think's most underappreciated by veterinary hospitals that you see today?
2: The team. <laughs> the team. And so <laughs> the whole entire yeah, team. So when you say, yeah. when you say
1: the team. Is it just how impactful that is for things to run? Is it the influence that they have? Is it yes, Isaiah, all those things and more?
2: So I think of veterinary medicine as being, as our fellow friend, Dr. Peter Weinstein, he always kind of compares veterinary medicine to Noah's Ark and how we are still practicing to Noah's Ark days. And I think of veterinary medicine being very traditional in that sense of being either an owner-centric practice, being the practice owner or veterinarian where everything has to go through the veterinarian, or a client-centric practice where we are so focused on the client and the client needs, and that's our primary focus. And both of those have pros and cons. And I like to think of where I tried to build my practices as more of an employee-centric practice with the philosophy that if you are appreciating coaching, training, supporting, paying your team members and your employees appropriately and pouring into them, whatever that looks like, then they're going to in turn be engaged and happy and want to come to work every day and be amazing team members that want to have better client care, patient care, veterinary care, even to the extreme. I pick that word purposely, the extreme of making sure that whatever it is that they're doing, they're the best at their job that they possibly can be. And that's not to say that they don't go off track at some point in time because everybody does, right? But when you have an employee-centric practice, and they're working on all of those things. Practices tend to be more profitable because we're not having turnover rate. They're more profitable because the clients are happy. They're more profitable because we have better client compliance, because the patient care is better. Work-life balance is better, all the things. So when you ask that question, (laughs) no, I didn't answer it directly. I say that because it's multifaceted. Like you said, where is it all of these? Yes, it is all of these. I think we underappreciate our teams, and that means a practice owner being a team member. We underappreciate our practice owners. we underappreciate our associates. We underappreciate even our vendors. We don't take the time to do more peopling, and I think when we take the time to invest in relationships, whatever those relationships might be, we end up being better humans.
1: Do you have any examples of kind of someone that maybe wasn't doing a great job at investing? in the people and spending time on that side of it and then has made an adjustment and then seeing the impact of that? Because so many times people will be like, oh, well, I don't know. That seems like some fluffy stuff that's not really actually impactful. Anything you want to comment or share? Any good stories?
2: Yeah, I see a lot of practices on a regular basis that will call me and say, hey, I want to hire you to do some consulting. And and even prior to consulting where I had colleagues working in practices or just visiting a practice for whatever reason, and they were these quote toxic practices. Well, what does that mean? right? It's where the back versus the front, or there's a group of mean girls that are gossiping and picking on everybody else, or that the employees were made to stay late and underpaid and underappreciated and working their fingers to the bone kind of thing. Vendors that weren't appreciated, clients that weren't a patient care that was Below subpar patient care. So those types of practices I see, and on a regular basis, I mean, this is not like a one-off, it's a regular basis where I will have practice owners or practice managers that reach out to me and say, please help. We're we're in a predicament, whatever that predicament may look like. And oftentimes they will say, Oh, I have a mass exodus, or my practice isn't profitable, or I've got a what we call a sacred cow, this technician that's, you know, the inmates are running the prison. There's a technician, let's say, that's just a brute and everybody leaves because of her. Everybody walks on eggshells because of her, or whatever the problem is. That's it. That's it. That's it. Right there. All the those things that happen at practices on a regular basis where we struggle and it's not one thing. We don't struggle to be profitable. Usually that's not what most practice owners really care about in that sense. Yeah, they have to pay bills and have a little bit of money left over at the end of the month, hopefully. right? But we don't look at having a high profitability. That's None of us are in this profession (laughs) to make a lot of money, that's for sure. But they still have to be somewhat profitable. I definitely will have managers say that they struggle with pouring into people. They don't know how to do that. Or there is... Team members that they walk on eggshells with, or not sure how to coach or give feedback to, or say, "Hey, knock it off, you can't behave that way." And so, those are some of those things on a regular basis that I work with practice managers, often more so with managers, but definitely practice owners on how to correct those types of obstacles. I'll use that word, right? Just obstacles that face us on a regular basis. It's not because we're we have a lot of practices in Southern California. I'm all over the country. So it, it's same things that I hear from a practice in New Mexico that I hear from Oklahoma, that I hear from Texas, that I hear from Portland, Maine. I mean, I've, we were in Portland, Maine for the conference and the practices there are telling me the same thing. And I have a couple of practices on the East Coast and kind of spread out in New York, Philly. It's the same. It's universal. I don't see it in a particular location or if it's private owner versus corporate, small versus large, mixed versus small animal. It's all the same.
1: To me, there's a litany of challenges in running a well-run hospital or practice, whatever that means, right? But if you go upstream of a lot of these issues, it seems to come back to, or likely stem from. If you get the HR part right, if you get the peopling element right, a lot of these things take care of themselves. So it's like go upstream of that. You want to fix this thing and this thing and this thing, but like what's upstream? And that's always what I ask. Okay, go a little higher, go up the chain, right? Like what's leading to that? So it's interesting to hear you kind of unpack that and. I think it intuitively makes sense, but I don't know if I've had anyone on the podcast or thought of it and said it specifically that way. So that's super helpful.
2: Yeah, and when you peel, we go up the chain, right? You peel back the rug. You see all the dirt under the carpet, right? And I always compare it to an abscess because I think everybody in the practice wants to run back into treatment when somebody's lancing an abscess. They're like, I want to do it, I want to do it. Or everybody wants to watch. And it's that same thing. It just grows and grows and grows. And then finally, when you lance it, and it's like stinky and chunky and nasty and gross and oozy, and everybody's like, oh, I want to watch. I want to do it.
1: And there's a reason why I'm not in clinical anything. That sounds terrible.
2: <laughs> and that's where you're like, peace out. I'm
1: good.
2: <laughs> not your cup yeah, of tea. Yeah. But that, when you say, you know, kind of go up the chain, and that's really where I work with practice owners or practice managers, because it's typically starts with leadership. Do we have a history of accountability or lack thereof, right? Do we have a history of maybe miscommunication, poor communication, bad communication for the team? Typically, a practice owner is so busy running their practice and seeing cases and practicing medicine that they don't do the peopling and they didn't go to vet school to do the peopling either. Right. And so that's where you say, yeah, go up the chain. So we start saying, okay, what type of accountability do we want to have in our practice? Right. What kind of transparency, authenticity, uh, what kind of culture do we want to cultivate? Right. Do we have the right people that are working in the practice that share the same values, share the same vision? are treating patients and clients the way the practice owner wants them to be treated? Probably not. There's probably some disconnect there and that's really when then the culture kind of goes askew and we have those practices that, you know, you said well run practices can still be well run, but they don't necessarily have a culture that's what's going to keep the team there or keep the team happy. And that's really, to me, the core of making a practice successful is decreased turnover, right? We want to not have to deal with, and I say deal with on purpose, deal with hiring and recruiting and firing and dealing with the drama of the Mean Girl group or a long-term CSR that's just horrible to clients. It's just not acceptable, but the practice has allowed it for so long or didn't know what to do about it and didn't know how to correct it, didn't know how to write get us back right on the right track, going in the right direction.
1: You talked a little bit about right there. So from a leadership perspective, and I think of like talent is the recruiting piece, but then also the retention piece. So when you think about developing talent that you already have, if you have the right people, maybe they don't have all the perfect skill set. odds are, right? You probably don't, right? You might have really good people that get the human side of it that still need the technical capabilities to come behind it. Where do you think the industry misses most on developing talent internally and just helping people grow?
2: So hiring and recruiting talent post-COVID has been challenging. And even though the unemployment rate was really high, it was still just a challenge to recruit good talent. And in the veterinary space, it's really bad. There's not even a pool. There's not a pond. It's completely dried up. There's nothing there. It's non-existent. It's getting better, but it's still non-existent. And part of that is in the veterinary space specifically, it's less than half a percent that are unemployed. And if they're unemployed, it's probably because they're moving to another practice and they're just waiting to start their job. 80% women were probably on maternity leave, right? If they're unemployed, we're on maternity leave or raising kiddos, something like that. So retaining talent is to me key. We have to keep the talent that we have. Because in order to get new talent, we're poaching. And it's, it just comes down to that. We're poaching from another hospital. They're not unemployed where we can find them unless it's like I'm you know, 15 minutes from Disneyland. Disneyland laid off 33,000 people during COVID. And the customer service at Disneyland is creme de la creme. If somebody's got Disneyland on their resume, I'm about it. I'll hire them because I can t- teach anybody how to place a catheter, right? I can teach anybody vaccine information, but I can't teach... The, when you're at the grocery store and you see this person like helping the little old lady trying to reach a can of soup on the top shelf, right? That's what I want right there. That's the kind of person that I'm looking for. So my focus more is looking at not hiring for skill, which is what we did traditionally. I can teach the skill and I'm hiring more for either coachability or the willing and the desire to be better, right? Be a better human, be kind. That's, that's really what I feel like. I'm searching for in my talent now, and it's becoming harder and harder to find those type of people. I'm looking outside of veterinary medicine where we never had to do that before. Baristas, servers, where I can get them in, send them to tech school. Creativity, really hiring more for creativity. Coachability, adaptability. Yeah. Those types of emotional intelligence, I guess. And then... Retaining top talent, what's it going to do to retain the talent I have? And that's a lot of employee surveys, making sure I'm keeping my team engaged, utilizing their skill set to the max I possibly can, legally allowed by the law, or typically more so of the Veterinary Medical Board Practice Act, and being creative in compensation so that I'm meeting their needs as a family unit, whatever that family unit may be, right? Trying to come up with different creative ways to keep them financially happy and plugged in as well. Employee appreciation, lots of those things that I think we never took the time to look at. And I don't want to say pre-COVID, but probably in the last 10, 15 years, even that mindset shift of being more Employee centric and stepping more away from either being practice owner or veterinary centric or even client centric, patient centric.
1: On surveys for the team, any favorite question or thing that you would encourage people to make sure they ask?
2: So I'm happy to share my employee centric surveys. I do them on SurveyMonkey. I think you do like 10 questions for free, but I do a lot of those. I usually pull my practices anywhere, probably about once a year, sometimes twice a year. Depending off we're looking on trying to move a KPI from one to an you know one thing to the next, if we're just tapping in checking in, making sure things are okay, we'll do them like once a year. But it's a lot of things like do you feel comfortable bringing up new ideas to the leadership team? Do you feel that your team work well together to reach a common goal? I mean I probably have 30 questions that on a regular basis I'll switch up. And some of them are the same, just asked differently. But I feel like we're really trying to get to the team to ask them, like, do you feel overworked on busy days? Do you feel the leadership team has given you an opportunity to grow? When is the last time you've had an opportunity to meet with your leadership team? So I'm asking questions that are geared towards the employee of... Do you feel appreciated by the practice owner? Do you feel like the leadership team is meeting with you frequently and pouring into you? Do you feel like you have opportunity to grow at your practice? Those types of questions. And it has really nothing to do with clients or patient care. It's not about that, right? I feel like meeting with team members on a regular basis to give them a voice, then when you do a survey, you're not surprised, right? Yeah, don't ever ask questions that you're not willing to change. So don't ask a question about, like say, pay, would you like to make $5 more an hour? Well, yes, of course, everyone's gonna say yes. But if you're not willing to pay $5 more an hour, then don't do that, right? Do you need health and benefits? Are they important to you? Well, if you don't offer health benefits and you're not going to offer health benefits, then don't ask, right? But if you really, really want to make a change, yeah, then ask the question. And then what do you do about it, right? Here's the results, but then what are you gonna do to move the needle?
1: How often do you like those in-person meetings and does it depend? Do you do at least annually?
2: I do them quarterly. I like quarterly check-ins. That you can do the annual, I talk a lot about I talked a lot about this at the New England Veterinary Medical Conference, and a lot of my lectures will focus in on if you need to do the annual performance review, that's fine. I get that structure. However, check-ins, I recommend check-ins quarterly. and it's meeting with a team member. How are you doing with your goals? Have you accomplished them? If not, what's standing in your way? How can I better support you? Those check ins of is everybody being nice to you? <laughs> is anybody picking on you? Was your money getting into your bank account, right? Do you need more scrubs? What are some of the, is your schedule working for you, right? Do you have any hiccups with those kinds of things? If there's something immediate that needs to be addressed, somebody's coming in late every day to work late or something like that, we're going to talk about it right then and there. But if for a status quo, then I'm going to meet with a team member quarterly and some team members we'll talk about something like I had a check-in with a team member just yesterday and he really struggles with talking with clients and feeling comfortable talking with clients. And so I told him I would be looking into some client service training for him and I'd meet back with him in another couple of weeks. So we're gonna circle back before the end of the month. I know Thanksgiving in there and he's taking a vacation too. So I don't know when I'll get back with him, but for sure it's on my calendar by the end of the month to give him two different resources of some webinars, right? So I may meet meet back with him then in a month after that and say maybe the first of the year I meet back with him and say, hey, how'd you like the webinars? What else can I do for you? So I may have that as a result of a check-in, but honestly my check-ins are quarterly and that's why I say 80% of my time is HR. Because I'm constantly meeting with team members, and I have 50 hospitals across the country. I'm constantly meeting with team members. right? What's going on? How are things? Where are your goals at? What do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? Right? What are you getting good at? What do you suck at? What do you need help with? How can I train you or give you a resource to have more training in this area?
1: If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarian special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They wanna help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. You talked about goals a couple different times there, which I think is great to help people kind of set or have something that they mutually agree on, like what we're working towards, which I think is important. I wanted to ask about, it seems silly, but I noticed this a lot in talking to hospitals, like job descriptions, because I feel like having the goals and the job descriptions, like what you're doing, all should kind of align into the same thing. And it's amazing to me how many times there aren't those things in place. Don't have that at all.
2: Yes. And I have those. Like, I'm willing to share those. Please use them. VHMA the has some on their website. I think job descriptions are important and job descriptions for a CSR, right? Client service representative, like they can have a job description, but then Susie, the CSR may have a different job description just because she maybe waters the plants and she does sympathy cards and she does something else, right? So her job description may be a little bit more in depth than just like the basic CSR. But if you don't have job descriptions, they're super easy to get done, right? You just tell Susie and Bobby and Joey, Hey, I need you guys to write down everything that you do every day, every week, every quarter. And then you type it all up and you go, Hey, look, there's a job description. And there's some things that you have to add in legally to make sure that you, things like that you have to sit, stand, push, pull, bend, twist, lift up to 40 pounds a day, and those kinds of things that you want to put in there. If there's any education requirements, you know, you got to be licensed to do this, that kind of thing. you got to add a little bit to it, but it's easy to have employees create their own job descriptions and then flush them out a little bit more. And then, yeah, Susie's job description as a CSR might be a little bit different, but we need to be using those job descriptions for how we're creating job ads, how we're doing recruiting, how we're hiring, how we're coaching, firing, disciplining, for sure. And then, yeah, the goals are, I like having a minimum of three goals on a. Annual basis at minimum, one of them is usually a hard skill, like 10 successful ultrasound guided cysto sticks in three months. That's what we call SMART goal, right? Specific, measurable, realistic, attainable, timely, where we are saying, this is exactly what I want to see you happen, right? So that's like a hard skill. A soft skill may be something being a team player and a team player could be like showing up on time for Pete's sake, where they've got a chronic problem of oversleeping. And that's not a team player because you're putting a lot of other work on the rest of your team. A soft skill could be something like working on their communication. So the guy was telling me about yesterday, he's working on his client communication. And that could be a soft skill for him. That's really stretching for him. He's an introvert. He's very quiet. It's very soft-spoken. And for him to have a conversation with a client makes him an itchy wool sweater. He just does not like that. And so getting him comfortable where he can do a discharge a patient after surgery and feels comfortable doing that and can answer client questions confidently, our goal is to get him to that place. And so that's an essential skill, life skill that we're working with him on better communication. And then I like the CE goals. I like to have a minimum of nine hours per person per year. And I like to offer an hour of CE at a team meeting at least once a month, one hour offered by the clinic, where that's a 30-minute lunch and learn, or it's a hour of on my time, on the clinic's time, where they're watching a webinar or doing something that's gonna help them build their education and skill set, whatever that may be. Nine hours a year. So those three goals make them eligible for an annual performance increase. And if you don't meet those goals, then you don't get your increase. So your increase is basically up to the person, depending on if they meet their goals. And if they meet their goals in three months, well then woohoo, give them a raise and give them three more goals. Right? So I love goals. I think people are come out of performance reviews often and celebrate the fact that they got a dollar, but really have no idea why they earned it or what they're doing in the year ahead. And so I'm not big on the annual performance reviews in that sense, because they walk away like, Ooh, I got a dollar. Well, that lasts through the weekend. And then what are they doing then next month? And so if you don't have anything that they're working towards, so those quarterly meetings, is like, Hey, get your goals out. Where are you at with those? If your goal is 10 ultrasound-guided sisto sticks in the next three months and you've got the other technician that's hogging all the cystos, well, we got to fix that, right? We have to make it so you have the opportunity to do that. So I like the goals. I'm big on goals.
1: Yeah. The goals, the job description makes total sense. When you develop those job descriptions, you help, whether it's practice managers or owners. Are you a fan of assessments for certain roles? So you're talking about this one individual that's fairly reserves, not super outgoing. Do you lean into that? Do you feel like those are helpful? Do you kind of say like, eh, I think they're BS. Where do you stand on those?
2: The personality assessments, I geek out on them. I'm an INFJ. I'm high I. I love them all. And part of that is a lot of self-awareness on my part. I have to know when I'm going into conversations and I'm doing peopling who I'm talking to. So if I'm going in and having a conversation with an introvert that is reserved and does not like to talk about feelings and is a type C on the disc. it's going to be short and sweet. There's going to be a couple yes, no answers. There's going to be a spreadsheet (laughs) and then off they go. Right. And I'm going to give them an agenda in advance so that they know what we're talking about. So for me, it's more of who I am and then who the person is that I'm going to be having that conversation with. I'm not going to be successful Going into a conversation, I'm an extrovert. So if I'm going into a conversation with an introvert, I've got a loud voice. I'm a big girl. I'm intimidating. I don't know why, but people say that I'm intimidating. I think I'm just a little cute koala bear but not everybody seems to think that. So when I'm going into that conversation with that introvert technician, then is it type C and that doesn't want to talk with me, then I know I'm going to bring my voice down. I'm going to pull myself in. I'm going to be very quiet, ask yes or no answers. I'm going to give them the agenda in advance and I'm going to do it on a spreadsheet because that's what they like. And we're not going to talk about feelings because they don't want to talk about feelings. And so that's okay with me, but I know I'm going to be more successful in that conversation And if I'm going to go into a conversation with, say, an outgoing, bubbly, extrovert, front desk person that is a golden retriever and loves to plan everybody's baby showers and birthday parties and anniversaries and all that kind of good stuff, I know how I'm going into that conversation, right? I'm going to give them a budget and tell them, here's the birthday list and have a good old time, right? That's going to make them happy. So, I understand that about me. I think assessments are good, one good tool of many when we're hiring. If we're looking for a pharmacy technician, we need somebody who is going to be have high attention to detail, who is gonna be a bean counter, right? Who is okay being by themselves in an area and not peopling. So if I'm gonna hire an extrovert, that's gonna set that person up as a failure of being a pharmacy technician because they are in a cave. Right? Counting pills and not talking to people. And so that's going to be a struggle for that person. So I think that that's one tool. Again, I'm not a big fan of saying, okay, we have to have this type of a personality for this job. I don't think that's true. And I think we miss candidates, good quality candidates. If we look through that personal assessments with Tunnel Vision, it's one tool that we could use of many when we're talking about hiring and promoting and transferring and putting personalities together. It's useful but it's not the end all tell all.
1: Yeah. And like you mentioned, it's not like you have so many applicants that you are going to be screening through them and be able to make that like, right. decision there, but it's helpful, right? It's something that you can leverage and hopefully over time, as there's more applicants or you have more flexibility in who you're hiring, you can use that as like a, one of the criteria, not the criteria. And
2: they're fun even doing it with a team because I think When we do them as team building exercises, we learn about ourselves, but I like having them either, there's a couple drug reps that have done them for me, and we've done the neuro colors and the dog breeds, and then they wear the dog breed sticker on their name tag. So we all kind of laugh during the meeting about, oh, look, there's the Border Collie and oh, there's the Golden Retriever. But then we know when we're going up to that person if the Border Collie is going to go talk to the Golden Retriever. Well, actually, it's going to be the inverse, right? The Golden Retriever is going to go talk to the Border Collie and the Border collie's working and they're busy and they're getting things done and they're checking boxes. And they don't really care about the taco truck that's coming next week to celebrate Susie's fifth anniversary or whatever it is. Right. So the border collie's like, just give me the budget and I'll put it in the spreadsheet and then save me a taco. (laughs) So I think it's good for teams to recognize then when they need to talk to each other, who they are and how they're communicating with each other and how they can not necessarily take things personal all the time. I use the word Q-tips quite a bit, quit taking it personally. Because I think we often take things personally when we shouldn't. It's a personality type. And when we understand each other's personality just a little bit better, I know that I'm not going to take offense when the border collie barks, no pun intended, right? Barks at the golden that says like, hey, listen, I've got a deadline. I'm busy. I'm working. Go plan your party and let me know how it went, right? Don't take offense to that. That's just their personality type. So it can be great for team building and interpersonal communication in the team. And it's fun. It's silly and it's fun and we should have more fun at work.
1: Agreed there should be more fun at work. And it is applicable and it's helpful, right? Because at the end of the day, communication is such an important component not only to the end client, but internally, so that things don't get messed. Is there anything on communication that you would want to add there? Because I think that is such a huge vital component of, a again, going back to this topic or idea of a well-run hospital and one that's functioning at a high capacity?
2: I think practicing a communication is something that we don't make enough space for. And I think we just have to draw attention to it and just point at it and say, we need to do better at it. So let's practice it on a regular basis. Uh, a lot of people run when they hear the world role-playing. So I just say practice conversations, where we just go in and say, let's practice this conversation. And so when we practice it, we're going to get better at it. And so if you have some struggle, a miscommunication with a team member that's upsetting you, why don't you go in and have a practice conversation with them, where you can say, hey, so yesterday when this happened, it hurt my feelings, and I'd like to talk to you about it and practice how we can converse better. And that seems to be more palatable to team members instead of saying role play. And again, just drawing attention to, we're not perfect. And I'm going to try to have this conversation with you, but I might cry. I might get emotional. I might get red. I might get sweaty palms. I might throw up. Like all the things that happens when we have difficult conversations. But when we start off with saying, we need to have this conversation. We need to talk about it. And I reserve the right to... Take a break at any point in time or put it on pause for another day or try to get through it, but at least we attempted to have the conversation. And the more practice we have, more attempts we have, the better we get at it. So if we just talk about the fact that we need to talk more, what does that sound like? What does that look like? What does that taste like, smell like, feel like on a regular basis? We just draw attention to it. It's super uncomfortable. Nobody likes to do it. But that's why there's a breakdown in communication because we're not practicing it. We're just not doing it. So point it out, right? Have the conversations. You definitely can get training. I mean, there's, again, go back to your reps that you have good relationships with. There's frank training, there's cruiser conversations. I mean, there's so many resources that help us with these types of communication training, but hiccups and obstacles, to me, there's no reason why we're not spending more time well, just because it's uncomfortable, but that's why, right? Like yeah. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to wear the itchy roll sweater.
1: Yeah. Any business, regardless whether it's vet med or communication can always be improved and it's like fundamental for things to yeah. work and flow. So the fact that it's not regularly done and practiced and encouraged is right. kind of nonsensical because there's so many other businesses that they make a big effort and a big push to do that. So it's natural that yeah. one big thing should be yeah, like, it's not veterinary better specific? at communication period. It doesn't need to be technical communication, just communication.
2: And it develops us personally and professionally, right? It's yeah. stuff we use at home with our friends, Total. with our family, with whatever. It's not just work. It's not technical, like you're saying, right? It helps us be a, just a better person all around.
1: Absolutely. So I want to switch to more like a macro big picture question, in which I know is kind of like a hard pivot, but I do that at times when I just want to get someone's opinion. And it's like, I don't know how to weave this into these other questions. But there's this thought, and it depends on who you talk to, but there's a lot of people that will say, hey, private practice is going to thrive. It's going to be awesome. I fit in that group, right? I think there's tons of opportunity. And there's others that are like, mm, I think corporate is going to continue to dominate, take over. It's going to be harder and harder. You see a lot of different hospitals, a lot of different people all over the country, as you mentioned. What is your take on private practice versus corporate, thrive versus struggle? How would you answer that if someone asked? ask?
2: So since COVID, we've seen a lot of venture capitalists with a lot of cash buying up a lot of practices. And now that well has dried up, right? We're starting to see it halt on some of that Q4 last year, all the way through this year, it's trending down. We're seeing a lot of those buying groups buy each other up, right? And we saw a jump from 2019 to current of the amount of Corporate practices went up significantly, exponentially, in just a short amount of time. However, I think corporate practices don't always realize that our profession is not transactional. It is not buying a car. It is not buying groceries. It is not transactional. Even though it is a service-based business, it is not transactional. The veterinary space, unlike almost any other profession, is relationship-based. And corporates, in my opinion, my experience of corporates, not all, but I'll say the majority, just like when I say private ownership, the majority. In corporate medicine, it's very transactional. As an employee, you're a number. As a client, you are an average client transaction. You're a ticket, right? And they miss that relationship piece of it. On the flip side, I see private ownership. And again, I'm talking macro level, right? The majority have more relationships with their clients. And that's where that trust comes in. And because our profession is so relationship-based, I see that private ownership is always going to be a must, a requirement in veterinary medicine because pet owners need to have the relationship- with their veterinarian in order to thrive in that particular practice or in that particular setting. So for me, my opinion, I definitely think that there's going to be always a piece for corporate, always. There's going to be a place for them and just like there is for private owners. But I do think it's always going to be the higher majority is going to be private practices because the relationship is so important to our clients. And that's obviously who pays our bills.
1: Yep. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I would say, totally agree. And it's something that others have, I think, touched on in ways, but I love getting different opinions and and different perspectives on that. What's something that I haven't asked about that's maybe on your heart or mind in regards to just the broader vet med community that you would want to share or pontificate about?
2: I think when, at the last Vet Partners Conference, we did a panel on it started off as workforce utilization, but technician utilization. And I'm the philosophy of my little redheaded stepchildren, my CSR. They don't get any C E or they have seventy-five percent client interface or the highest turnover rate in the practice is a CSR like my poor little CSRs up front I have a strong voice for them. And so anytime I hear technician utilization, I kinda of scream from the treetops like, Hey, can we make that workforce utilization instead? And There are plenty of technicians who some are my dear friends that have an amazing voice for our technicians and technician utilization and the VNI and all the things that are happening in the technician world right now, where we're trying to have a trajectory for them forward in our field. And I say, hey, take a step back. Don't forget. Hey, can I be the voice for the CSRs? And for really, honestly, anybody who is not necessarily a licensed technician in our field and I feel like I want to scream from the rooftops too, like, hey, let's make that work for utilization. Let's look at the bigger picture of the whole entire practice. And I 100% support the work that our licensed technicians are doing at the organizational level, at the state level. There's so many names that are really working hard to get that moving. And I'm 100% support them And anything I can possibly do as it a non-licensed individual, like, where can I support you? And then try to have that same thought process for the rest of the team. And so what about the rest of the team? Can we make space for, can we utilize them? Can we pay them? Can we keep them, again, going back to employee retention, how can we keep CSRs in our practices instead of having them, once they graduate college, go on to their big boy job or whatever? Can we keep them in our practice? And what are we doing to not have a shelf life on our CSR team as well. And that goes for kennel, that goes for veterinary assistant, that goes for, again, anybody that doesn't fall under the licensed technician umbrella. I really try to think about uh, managers as well, right? Where and how are we keeping them in our profession instead of losing them to another profession, right? Our profession is amazing. I love our profession. And on my podcast, Every single episode, my co-host, David, asks every single person, why veterinary medicine? Why did you pick this profession? And I would say 90%, I'm going to have to go back and count now, 90% of our guests always say because our profession is amazing. The people in our profession are stellar. They are just the best group of humans ever on the planet. And we have people that come from all over and different professions and they wind up in the veterinary profession and they say, Wow, these people, they're amazing. And so we're losing them. And that makes me sad. That breaks my heart that we're losing them. And so what are we doing for our entire workforce to make sure that we can keep them, right? Our technicians, our VAs, our kennel, our veterinarians, right? Our associates, our managers, our CSRs, anybody, whatever your director of operations, whatever your title is, what are we doing to fight to keep you in the profession and make sure that you're happy and love what you do enough to stay in our veterinary profession.
1: So as we close, I always allow a guest to ask me a question, which I know is a little, for you, it's a little different because I know I'm going to join you on your podcast. You get to ask me lots of different questions, but I'm going to carve it out still. And I know you probably have one and it can be something about what we've talked about today. It can be within vet med, it can be completely out of it. Any question you want to kind of lob back my direction? what's your why? Mm, That's such a hard question to answer succinctly, but I think today it's this ideal combination of what I would like to do and what I'm striving to do is take this idea of within veterinary medicine, there's this frustration at times, and you even talked about it earlier. You didn't join this profession to make money, right? And it's just like, sometimes I feel like people talk down to like, oh, woe is me. We don't make any money. And I don't always agree with that, but if you compare it to the amount of effort that a lot of people put in for education, and student loans, all that stuff, it is true, right? A lot of times the earning potentials aren't quite as high, although I would challenge that going back to what we just talked about with venture capital and owners and selling, because there's been some really big publisher clearinghouse type checks that have been delivered to some folks over the last couple of years. Yeah. But with that, what if you can be an amazing doctor, an amazing tech, an amazing kennel assistant, whoever, right? And you can actually just go to work, do great work and save into something that actually holds, retains and can grow in purchasing power over time. And so like my role of what I'm doing now, right? I went from being a financial advisor I work for Swan Bitcoin. Bitcoin's been a theme that I've talked about since 2020 pretty publicly, pretty loudly, continue to talk about it. But it's this marriage of great people. Again, love veterinary medicine. There's a reason I'm still doing the podcast, even though there's not quite that connection like it used to be. But it's like, how can I get them to understand this thing's really important? You care about these people. You want to see them do well. And there's lots of people that I know listen to the show that I'll never meet, never talk to. But it's like, if I can make that impact of saying, hey, this thing's meaningful. The juice is worth the squeeze. Learn about it. And I think it makes an impact not only on their business, but on the personal side as well. Because if you can just spend less than you make and save into something, you all of a sudden don't need to become a financial professional to figure out how to invest and make your money, put it to work. I hate that term. You've already worked for it.
2: Work for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. What? that's so dumb. You don't need to do that. So I'd say that's to me, when I take a step back, like what's the why it's getting veterinary medicine, the folks involved in it to understand, Hey, there's a really unique opportunity at the moment to learn about this thing that can make a material difference for you. And that's it at the moment. So, and then just trying to educate them on the lots of other topics as well through the podcast, but it's a great question. It's a hard one to probably, again, like, and every day it's different,
2: right? I will, at least for me, some days I'm Answering one way and then a week later, totally different. So, yeah. Yeah. Just depends. Right.
1: For those that are listening that want to chat with you on their favorite topic, which is human resources, where would you send them to reach out to connect if they want to talk more?
2: Certainly. You can check out my website, but I would say just email me directly. I'm happy to share resources. I'm not one that will make you pay or (laughs) I don't know. Just have them, please. Whatever's going to make this profession better. Just take it. But my email address, so Andrea at furpaws.us. Check out my podcast, Positive Leadership Podcast on any podcast platform. Definitely LinkedIn, Andrea Crabtree on LinkedIn. That's probably about those are big ones. Perfect.
1: I'll make sure they're linked and connected and all that stuff in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for Taking some time. Yeah, Great to connect this with is you. Look yeah. forward
2: to it. And chatting some more this week, right? Yeah.
1: We'll talk later on.
2: Yeah. Okay. We'll do about. it all over again. Yep. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> all right, Isaiah. Have a good rest of your day.
1: You too. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. However, you are intelligent enough to make decisions for yourself. So I do encourage you to dig in learn for yourself and not just outsource every decision that you make. You should talk to your professional team if you have one before implementing anything that I talk about, but also make sure they know what they're talking about. Push them, question them. That's healthy, that's okay. Oh yeah, and you should probably own and learn a little bit about that Bitcoin thing. The biggest compliment you can give to me is to share the show with a friend or the podcast if there's another episode that you really like. That helps folks find it, that helps it grow. Um, reviews are critical. The Apple Podcast is the platform that's predominantly used for how people find the show. So if you have three minutes love the show, please head over, give us five stars if you believe that's what we earned. That would help more people find the show. Also, if you're new, go to YouTube. It's a channel. uh, putting up all the videos there as well. Sometimes it's going to be more interactive. Other times it's just going to be the conversation. So vainly, I want to get 100 subscribers so I get the vanity URL. That's the goal. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. For all of today's links, information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss any episodes in the future. And finally, if you'd like more information, insights, or have the ability to, for your voice to be heard, join the Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinaryandsuccesspodcast.com, scroll to the bottom, about your host, click on the Facebook icon. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings. That I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on call emergencies. It's an appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes, and the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients, and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is The owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available practice medicine, and do what you're trained to do, and less time on paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, Personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five doctor mixed animal practice in Northern New York, which is an outdoors persons paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on call, uh, 24 hour ER less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than $95,000. Can be straight salary, pro sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person? Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So, again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So, please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know, and we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of, I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.